on the Veterans Broadcast Network. This is Roll Call. What role did you play in your call to duty? You're listening to Veterans Roll Call. I'm Kennedy Camp. And I'm Nadine Noki. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad you're here with us tonight. It's going to be an amazing show, and it's the holiday season. So uh, I'm wishing you all the best, uh, both in a happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas and a Kwanzaa, and I think there's like six or seven others that are all going on for the next couple of weeks. So um, it should be really good, um, especially because we still have wonderful weather here, and I know some of the weather's changing in other places, but... Our show tonight's going to be quite unique because uh, a friend of mine who I met a few years back, thanks to my good friends in Sarasota, Jim and Alice Allen, uh, they introduced me to this uh, man named John Borling, who I later found out was a major general, retired. And talk about a man that faces the call to duty. I mean, 33 years uh, in the Air Force, but he's still going strong. He still is doing so much for veterans and for this country. It's quite amazing, and we're going to be getting a bunch of his stories. I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, POWs, mainly because, uh, unfortunately, John Borling was a POW shot down in Vietnam uh, six and a half years, and um, quite trying. I'm sure we might hear a little bit about it, but we won't dwell on it too much because some of the present work that he's doing with a very unique organization called SOS America, and that's Service Over Self America. And uh, you'll be hearing more about what that really pertains to and why I believe it's so important and have been backing it for as many years that uh, we are constantly building it. On the POW uh, level, we should all know that there's been 142,233 Americans captured. General Dave Grange on his show a couple weeks ago was telling the same statistics, and it sort of blew my mind. And if you weren't able to listen to General Grange, you'll be able to uh, listen to some of what the statistics are he told. These 142,233 Americans were captured during World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, in Somalia and Kosovo. Yes, we had conflicts in Somalia and Kosovo where Americans were captured. In uh, World War One, there were four thousand one hundred twenty, but World War Two, one hundred and thirty thousand two hundred and one Americans were captured and held as prisoners of war. And in that five years or so, 14,000 of them died in captivity. We don't know how many of those died under the hands of or just died naturally, but it's a sad idea to even think of. In Vietnam, there were 745. Unfortunately, John was one of those. 
uh, Gulf War, there was uh, 23. And I had no idea of that whatsoever. Kosovo, Serbia is where there were only three, and I had no idea that that even happened. And during the, the Serbian-Bosnian conflict, I was one of the few Americans that was allowed in and out of Serbia. I was working with Rotary International and the United Nations uh, bringing supplies to children. I was uh, connected to the international orphanages that were there. And um, always uh, amazed now to hear that there were actually prisoners of war that took place there. It's just mind-boggling and sad. Well, I'm going to be bringing General John on, and uh, he uh, is a, a person that I'm sure he's not going to tell you, so I'm going to have to. Silver Star, two Bronze Stars with V for Valor, two Purple Hearts, a Prisoner of War Medal, a Distinguished Flying Cross, the Legion of Merit, Superior Service Medal, the Air Force Distinguished Service Medal, and the Defense Distinguished Service Medal. I mean, that's just mind-boggling to me that somebody has gone through so much. He's very unique because he also flew an F-15, an F-16, an F-4, a U-2, a B-52, and something that I just heard about for the first time today, an SR-71, also known as a Blackbird which apparently was a very classified plane for a while. Anybody in the audience hear of that? We're at the Hampton Inn today uh, out in Clearwater, St. Pete, um, with our friend Mark, uh, the founder of the VBN Broadcast Network, and um, the man who created VDAC. Uh, that's that helpful software program for people to be able to fill out, uh, for veterans to fill out where they've been and to understand more of their benefits that they're entitled to. Uh, at this time, I think uh, I'd like to say hello to General John. If he's uh, out there, I think I'll find him somewhere. I am with you, Kenny, and I'm in, on the edge of my chair to see what the hell I'm going to say <laughs> to live up to that kind of introduction. So good to be with you, buddy. You're welcome. And so, it's so happy to, to listen and talk with you once again. Um, I know the last time you were in town, um, I, you told me you had four days that you were going to be here, so within two days I had you lecturing up at the library. And well, you did. You did, and, I'll get, and I'm going to get even for that. I promise <laughs> you. I'm going to work on something here to make that. Uh, yeah, the next time I come into your Illinois right. area, you could, you could get me to do one of my body language classes. Well, that's fine. Look, I just congratulate you on what you're doing with respect to roll call. And I think you and Nadine and your your cohort there, Dave Grange, at a point in time, uh, are satisfying an ongoing need because the veterans community does uh, represent uh, a wholesome aspect of the American experience. The, Sure does. Not only the history, but for the future. And uh, I think the country really needs veteran example to quote carry on, if you will. Yes, they do. And uh, I know when we get into a little bit of SOS America, we'll try to understand that a little bit more. The few people in the last couple of days I've told about that uh, I know a couple even signed up. I believe um, they were all well, quite, they're, quite they're amazed. Most, they're most welcome, and uh, but it's going to take as it has. 
uh, and you are aware, uh, legislation, and we find that the Congress is difficult to move. Yes, it on is the, on the subject. Yes, it is. Can on your role in, in your call to duty, what, what uh, inspired you to end up in the Air Force Academy? Well, I was in junior ROTC on the south side of Chicago, Hirsch High School, 77th and Drexel. Yeah. Uh, and I had a wonderful uh, professor of Army science, a guy by the name of Joe Eric, and uh, he was a World War II guy, and turned into a mentor, frankly, who stays with me even today. In fact, I go through life and you know, you hit these Yogi Berra forks in the road kind of thing. And every time I've gone the way that Joe Eric would have wanted me to go, it's been fine. And every time I've bucked that and gone in a different direction, it's been a bloody disaster. <laughs> uh, but uh, so Joe Eric uh, was motivational to me. But my uncle was in World War II and uh, was a, he failed out of pilot training and became a navigator in B-24s. And he was a, kind of my dad's kid brother. And Dick Borling uh, was shot down in World War II over Leipzig on his seventh mission as navigator on a B-24. And only the four men who were wearing a ring that the bombardier, who was a dentist, had made, a wolf's head ring, got out of that airplane and survived. But they were all captured. They were wounded. And... Uh, spent about 20 months as POWs in, in Germany. And uh, when I got sh shot down by ground fire in North Vietnam, I was wearing that ring, uh, which my uncle called his give me home ring. Mm. And I was all broken up when I got out of the airplane and couldn't walk. And I was deep in North Vietnam and there was no uh, rescue available. But I was able to crawl down to Highway 1. Again, this is well north of Hanoi. And I got your truck and in, and in fact was able to do that. Uh, got into the middle of the road. They either had to run me over or stop. <laughs> uh, and so I, I checked this truck and uh, I said, whoa, whoa, what a deal. I'm going to get this guy to take me to the coast assuming he helps me into the truck because I couldn't walk. Uh, and I got my six gun out. And what I've done is I've just hijacked a truck full of North Vietnamese regular troops. Oh. There's about 30 guys that come piling out the back, and they've got AKs and all kinds of stuff. And it's a typical military operation. Everybody's wondering, you know, what's going on? You know, why are we stopping smoke break or whatever? That's, you know, I can be jocular. And uh, so I've got guns coming out everywhere, and I elected not to die in a ditch that night. Excellent. And that started the that started the long thing. So that but the last they stripped me nude in the road. I know this would be an image that so many of your listeners would like really <laughs> like to see and wish we were, you know, on video or something. Well but, you are tall uh, and good looking. Well the tall, well you're I think you're easily deluded, but I don't care what you think about maybe Nadine or somebody, but you know, you don't uh, you know, you're not registering. So anyway, the uh they stripped me naked in the road, and the last thing they ripped off me was my dog tags. It had that ring, that get me home ring, uh, which I now opined is a get me shot down ring. Uh, and uh, and uh, after the war, when I came home after all those years, I 
mentioned that to my uncle and he was kind of teed at me but said that I could have this victory ring that was the bombardier made after they got out it's a made out of a dental metal vitalium it's kind of a silverish hard metal and he's got the officer crest from the, in those days the army air corps which still the, the officer crest for the air force on it and i'm wearing it tonight i wear it every day it's one of my next to my wedding ring and my academy ring it's the most prized thing i have for sure for sure and how is your wonderful wife myrna you know i talked to her shortly before the show she extends her regards uh I'm down here in Palm Beach, as I mentioned, and she's holding the fort down up there in Rockford, Illinois. We both grew up on the south side of Chicago. Uh, she was from South Shore. I was from Chatham slash Grand Crossing. And uh, it was uh, good that I think we came home after those 33 years of service uh, all over the world. And after the war, we kicked around into a lot of command and staff positions. and. We're very fortunate in our career, uh, and she was a big supporter. Uh, but now up in Rockford, we live on the Rock River, and we have this big old house, 100 years old this year. Uh, 100 years, my golly, I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, hope to get there. And, uh, and uh, we chatted, and I'll be home tomorrow night, and uh, we'll go on from there. The holiday season, as you referenced, is, is uh, kicking up, and it's time to... Uh, reflect on faith and reflect on uh, the season and would wish, as you did already, everyone, a wonderful holiday season, uh, no matter what your faith, be it Jewish or Hanukkah, which is ongoing now, uh, and uh, Christmas certainly as it comes. Uh, it's an important time for us. Having missed a lot of Christmases, I get a little sentimental. I'm sure, sure you would. And we know that uh, all the folks out there listening to us and watching us on Facebook now are also figuring out what they're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, um, as we are as well with our holiday season. I'm going to be able to take a short break in a few seconds, and uh, we'll be back to talk with Ch Major General Retired John Borling, as well as uh, listen to a few of his stories of what it was like in the Hanoi Hill. Thanks, Danny. Be right back. Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggins. 
It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. And thank you, Mark, for bringing me back on a double time. <laughs> and well, that's, uh, that Jody, that's that Jody drill stuff that we'd all march to or double time to, you know, that's... Uh, that's good stuff. Some of it's even printable. Some of it's even printable. You know. <laughs> exactly. So you, we started out with Reveille, and now we got you going up the hill again. So everything's good. Up the hill, down the hill, around the hill. Yeah, and I just got a nice message from Alice Allen, who's listening in. She said to say hi. Well, so what a wonderful got, woman she is. She is, and Jim and Alice, as you know, kind of uh, uh, forever hold our hearts. We don't see them, but God, it's that's sorry to say it's been years now I, I but i have a lot of fun with their son mark yeah uh and golfing and he and i play <laughs> golf and stuff uh, together but alice and jim were stalwarts with respect to looking after myrna while i was gone all those years boy look at all the years alice that have gone by since then and uh jim uh, jim continues to march uh, korean vet uh very proud of not only his service but of uh, the business that he built, J&M Golf, and uh, now they're uh, down in Florida in a lovely place leading out to Longboat Key. I, th- I, I dream about that house. That you know, it's just it's <laughs> the a pink dream house. house. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a pink house, but they're they're a dream couple, and Alice is extraordinarily special. Wonderful, and she loves opera. You know, we like opera too, and she's a great opera lover. Exactly. And uh, can you tell us a little bit, I, I know you, you were talking about Alice and Jim and all that they did, especially for Myrna and the kids when, while you were away, and that away was six and a half years. Can you just touch on it for a minute? Uh, it's hard for a lot of us to understand what somebody must go through and the horror that it must be in, in captivity. Well, you know, with the passage of time, you, the, the sharp edges become blunt, dull even, mm-hmm. and you remember the things that uh, uh, have a hint of humor about them or a, uh, a poignancy that doesn't uh, become one of those things where, you know, you're reduced to some puddle of something or other that uh, yeah. uh, can't function. So I attribute a lot of that six and a half years to the fact that I was just a slow learner. and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I think I could have solved uh, most of the learning experiences in about, you know, a week. But uh, it took six and a half years before the thing uh, came to an end uh, from the Kissinger Accords and uh, 
those of us that were hanging in there uh, were able to come home. I've uh, used the term over the years without affecting any errors. That, when I say errors, it's uh, trying to make me or colleagues more important than we really, really were. Uh, but we thought we had a role. Mm. And the role was uh, that uh, we had to survive. But that wasn't as uh, important as surviving with honor and and somehow being uh, models, uh, people that people could look to in, in the face of that long uh, experience that uh, was so debilitating uh, over those years. Uh, they would they could look at us and, and somehow say something something good came out of there. Uh, so that was important to us. But more than that, you know, there were the, the millions that served in Vietnam. That was that, that was something that really good came out. And we served for the right reasons. Now we can argue all of the business about the politics and mm -hmm. what we should have done. Uh, the reality is today that uh, Vietnam, uh, even though it still retains an autocratic kind of government, uh, has provided enormous uh, opportunity for its citizens and uh, they're probably our best allies in Southeast Asia. So go figure that. Go figure. Uh, yeah, Myrna and I were back in 2002 with the White House Fellows Delegation and had a government mission to fulfill at the same time. And and, and even though I didn't serve in the South, I was out of Yuban, Thailand, flying into North Vietnam. And as you may recall, had about 100 missions under my belt. 97 is the official number, but the the uh, the real number was about 115, and I got uh, uh, authority to fly another 100 missions, which is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and Myrna exceeded to. We had orders to England for gosh sakes, and uh, we're looking forward to a fighter tour at Headwaters when uh, when my orders came through just a couple of days before I got shot down. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and so that altered things. I, I remember coming back from the experience, if you'll let me go on here for a minute, mm -hmm. uh, that I called Myrna. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like the cell phones we've got now. You can call all over the world. But we got a Mars call through from uh, Clark Air Force Base where they took us to deworm us and de this us and de that us and try to figure out what they had on their hands. Uh, which was a lot, <laughs> and uh, and I think they were all kind of surprised at how uh, uh, normal they were, if that's the right phrase. Uh, although many would dispute that. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we, uh, we I called Myrna, and you know she said, "Oh gosh, you're back!" Da -da -da -da, you know, and we're talking, and and uh, she was, you know, it was like I'd gone out for a pack of cigarettes or something. So I I. Uh, uh, chatted on with her a minute, and then she said, the "Telling quick, what are, what are we going to do?" Oh boy, you know, haven't talked to this lady in you know six and a half years. We had sporadic little six-lined letters there toward the end, but she didn't know I was alive for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, "Well, we're going to go back to fighters, and if I'm any good, we'll hang around the Air Force uh, and and pursue." this life of service that I mentioned that I wanted because of forces, Joe Eric, my 
uncle, uh, et cetera. And, and she said, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, uh, she said, I'm not sure I want you to do that. And I said, well, we had this conversation before when I graduated from the academy or was graduating and we got engaged, uh, she indicated she didn't want me to fly. Mm. And, and I said, well, then we, we better not make a go of this because that's something I really have to do. And now it's years later, she suffered all the, probably suffered more than me, all the absence and having to live in the real world where ours was uh, just one of resistance and, and, and resilience and tapping through the walls and trying to support one another, uh, especially during those early brutal years. Uh, and, but we resolved the conversation. She said, I said, well, are you on the wing or in the lead? And she says, I'm with you. So we went back and it meant a lot to get back to fighters in about four months and, and then do well and able to compete with the guys who'd been out all this time. And as you know, we were fortunate in having command of all levels, command of the hat in the ring squadron, for God's sake. So yeah, I saw that famous, hat in the most ring. Famous, most famous fighter squadron in the world, the Rickenbacker squadron from World War One. And uh, it's high honor if you're commander of, of that. And I had that in F-15s, so a wonderful Ferrari Bentley combination of airplanes, single-seat airplane, and uh, just a joy to fly. I mean, it was, uh, notwithstanding, I made more rank and did all that stuff, but commanding the hat in the ring was one of the real highlights of our many-year career. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, where did you go on to? Uh, after coming, well, I, I came back and went back to F-4s, uh, which is the Phantom. Uh, and you notice how skillfully I've evaded talking any gruesome war stories to you. Yes. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, that is good. You know, I don't, you know, we don't go to relive that. Is, I will mention this, that I think most men and men, women, and most women can, be resilient. They can react to uh, adversity, and they can. Uh, the, their character comes out, and uh, and most acquit themselves admirably. And it and punishment reward comes to us all in life, earned, unearned. Uh, but if you want to really sense the character of a person, give that person power. Give that person power, and then either stand back and applaud or watch out, watch out. Watch out. Can you yeah. tell just a little story? Weren't you involved somewhat with John McCain? Well, John and I uh, got, there was a, a raid and now you've tricked me to get back into that. So I'll get you for that too. Okay. <laughs> anyway, oh, it's, oh no. it's ni 19, 1970, there was a raid on a camp called the Sante Raid. It was a satellite camp of uh, 15, 20 miles. I guess I was never there outside Hanoi. I stayed in the confines of Hanoi the whole time, except right toward the end where they trucked us up to the mountains uh, in December of, of 72. But uh, this commando raid was very successful. I mean, they went in there, they hit it, they did all the things they had to do. The only problem was the camp was empty. They had had emptied it uh, shortly before this raid took place. But it was so uh, concerning, so uh, uh, it displayed such vulnerability 
that they panicked and they collapsed all the the, the camps, including the, the satellite camps and such as they were, and those that were even right in downtown Hanoi, all back into that terrible place called uh, Hualo Prison, or you know it as the Hanoi Hill. Yes. Hualo means the oven. It's, uh, it was the Maison Centrale. It was the central house of the, of the uh, French colonial period that they would create these prisons. And, and uh, that's the place where you went and they, especially in the early years, the treatment was pretty brutal. But they put us back in this place and they, they literally put all the POWs in North Vietnam into a kind of a central compound made up of rooms that were good for 20 or 30 people and they put 40 or 50 in and and this was hurriedly done on a Saturday night. <clears throat> and so we get to see we get to see guys that we hadn't seen and we can talk to them and we it you know it, we, it was like a fraternity party we stayed up all night talking we knew the names it passed through the walls over the years but we'd never seen these guys and it turns out that on Sunday morning, uh, the word went out spontaneously, we're going to have a church service. Hmm. And, and the senior ranking officer of our room, and I've forgotten who it was, it may have been Jim Mulligan, uh, maybe Captain, uh, uh, turned to all of us and said, well, we're going to participate in this, this round the ring and think of this thing. We're all in these kind of a circular arrangement, uh, all these rooms of 20 to 30 are now holding more, but we had communications with a whole lot of us. So uh, the guy said, all right, well, we need, we're going to need a chaplain or a couple chaplains. And they said, all right, McCain, you and Borling. And John and I, and we just met, and John and I uh, looked at each other and we said, we couldn't imagine two worse choices to be <laughs> chaplains. Uh, well, it's, it's General. Well, you're laughing too because you understand that. <laughs> exactly, General. We got to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and finish up the chaplain story and talk right, about well, SOS chaplain, America. Yeah. Everybody, get ready to pray. All right, okay. <laughs> thanks. We'll be right back after this brief announcement. Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. Muted. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. CBN. Veterans Broadcast Network brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. 
Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. And welcome back. Uh we're here with You're listening to Roll Call. General Borling on Roll Call. Here's your host, Ken. And Ken. here I am. <laughs> yes, Mark, it's a little different when you're in a conference room and you got an audience and uh, we're having a little bit more fun than usually up in my little condo studio. So this is real nice. We're with uh, Major General Retired John Borling. Uh, or should I call it Chaplain Borling at this point? Well, uh, I think you'd be wildly off the mark uh, uh, now and then. To finish up the story, John and I huddled in the corner. Uh, this is before we sang the Star Spangled Banner as the opening hymn. Nice. And uh, at the top of our lungs, and this really upset them, you can believe that. Sure. And, uh, and, and then we pledged the flag, which we, we didn't have a flag, but we pledged it anyway. And, uh, and, and then let the rooms or the cells have their own... Uh, mini uh, service and John and I had gotten together and we both were looking at each other with a blank stare about what do we say that could be authentic, that could be real and not somehow uh, because the moment was important. We wanted it to be uh, genuine. Exactly. Uh, we wanted it to, and I'm sure so it I, was. Well, well and, and this is what I'm going to offer. We, I, I remembered uh, some words from a scrap of paper that was found after the Battle of El Alamein in a trench in North Africa in World War II. And for some reason, and you know, I wrote a book in my mind while I was up there, and I've always had a literary interest. And but you I, have I a remember, book out, too. Yeah, well, I got, and I got another one coming, it looks like. Uh, but it, uh, these words uh, had particular meaning to us then. But I think they have meaning in every person's life because everyone is going to experience that kind of uh, cold aloneness uh, that comes and you reach out and you need something. And so these words, and I'll offer them now, it's a prayer. Uh, and, and I can remember then we, we, after we offered it, there was just kind of a lot of nodding. And then guys started to talk and it turned it kind of into a... a meeting them the round, if you will, of those things, and uh, what was terribly reinforcing. So I offer it not so much for what it meant to us back then, and it meant a lot, but I, I offer it for what it can mean, what it can mean to people now, uh, irrespective of their station in life. They may well rely on these words. So are you ready? Yes, sir. Piece of paper. Anonymous words, Battle of El Alamein, the words live through the years, and they are. 
the night is cold and, and I'm alone. My little spark of courage flickers and dies. Stay with me, God. Make me strong. Simple stuff, but powerful stuff. Very and powerful. And I read your yeah. book, Taps on the Wall, which was also yeah. very powerful. Can you tell us a little bit about that for a moment? And we'll get into well, SOS. You know, the, the race we were running was an uncertain race back then, a race without end. We had, at the time when the, the months and years ran kind of quickly by, but the days came hard, the days, the endless days, and we uh, all tried to keep active. We were alone in semi-isolation, as I mentioned, for many years, and then, uh, but keeping your mind active was important, uh, staying sane, if you will. And I started to write a book in my mind, a book of poetry, as it turned out, some prose, but mostly poetry. And it was uh, one section about flying, another section about the POW and the human nature, the dark side of our souls, if you will. And then a third part about uh, the holidays. We were just talking about the holidays, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. It was kind of hard because you really had to open up an armored soul to talk about that. Uh, but you know how it is when the family comes over. Uh, on the holidays and flood the house and after about 20 minutes you figure out of all your relatives you really like yourself the best but that's another thought for another time the uh <laughs> and then and then you and then there was this long epic poem called sea story southeast asia story that tried to summon up all the aspects of the human condition and put it into a vernacular that was uh, oriented aviation there's a glossary in the back and there's some other stuff. John McCain, in fact, when I got out, I buried the book for 40 years. Oh. Uh, and had Vernon and I talked about it. We said, no, we're not going to, too private. And then McCain and some other people came to me, and John offered to write the uh, forward to it. And he said, you got to publish all these poems. You tapped through the walls. And the reason I did that was so that Myrna and, and Lauren, who was the firstborn, Megan was born after the war, uh, two wonderful daughters, uh, but I wanted them to have legacy in case I died up there and uh, they would have something uh, to remember me by. Uh, well, I didn't die. And uh, as I say, buried the book. And 40 years later, the Pritzker Military Museum and Library made it the first imprint along with some New York help. And uh, as they say, John and a bunch of guys uh, uh, ranging from Gary Sinise to guys I served with, Leo Thorsness, who was a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, uh, Rich Daly, uh, the mayor and all these put blurbs on the back of this thing so it's a pretty good deal i'm helping with a book currently that's uh, going to come out called uh beyond the anthem and it's jim cornelison's book about the value of and his stories about singing the anthem as you know he he's the singer for the blackhawks who does the mm -hmm. national anthem yeah. and uh a powerful voice and i had him up to rockford to we had a hundred-year ceremony and had a patriotic ceremony and had skydivers and jets and uh, pipes and drums and Navy drill team and stuff. But I had Jim Cornelison. Uh, Jim's uh, been a friend for years, and he came up and sang, and uh, not only then, but did a version of God Bless America at dinner that night uh, that just brought us to our knees. I mean, God, we were sobbing. It was so beautiful. So Excellent. we got a lot. We got a lot to be thankful for as a people, and we got to make sure we 
we respect the nation enough and we respect our not only ourselves but the the people who made america what it is today uh and what it can be tomorrow so i've got a real uh, concern that those people who are trying to tear us down those people who frankly hate america those people trying to divide america yeah. uh the veteran community's got to stand up i mean we've got to we've got to say this you are presenting an America that is not America. We know what America is. You know, we've served. Uh, we've got a right to be in the spotlight and say, wise up, guys, wise up. Uh, we've got to make the future better uh, than it was, and it's certainly going to be different than it is now. Can, can you just then tell us a little bit about SOS America so that the audience can understand the value of oh, it? Yeah, I, I will. Uh, it doesn't tell easily other than if you think the military is a worthwhile institution and i'm worried that they're getting this woke education uh jammed down their throats and we ought to be up in arms about it but uh, i still think it is a moral repository for the nation in many respects and on an individual level and i think it would be good if people who could not become members of the all-volunteer force uh, and that's basically uh, 80 85 percent of the young people 18 to 25 they can't pass the test they can't uh, uh they don't have a background in it they can't they're not physically able to participate so we we conducted or, or, or we auger for we are uh trying to emphasize that us auxiliary corps called the u.s military service corps uh should be created for those people that, that could serve a year and we would bring in different we'd have america meet america because geography would be mixed socioeconomic levels would be mixed if you could take care of yourself physically and mentally you'd be eligible but the big thing is we'd mix ages you know when you're 18 you're much different than you are going to be at 20 or 23 or 25. And so they would, that stuff would rub off one to another. We need the legislation to make it real. It would be a military program. It would be run by the Defense Department. It would be volunteer only at this point, although I still harbor the notion it should be mandatory. I think everybody needs to have some skin in the game uh, if you're going to be American. I, there's a, state, I, there's a, statement, a statement made by my fourth grade mentor, John Gardner, and I'll mention this because I know we're kind of running out of time. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, I'll tell you what, I'll finish with it. Uh, if you give me 30 seconds before you gratefully cut me off. No, I think we got a couple <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah, we got a couple so, minutes and my friend Mark. Yeah, so that's SOS America. You can join online, wsosamerica.org. And my new, my you know, I've been writing a column for two and a half years in the Gannett Papers publications, mostly in Northern Illinois. Uh, and that's called The Third Degree. And people should write this down because I'm no longer, I, I quit working for Gannett last week. And I'm going to take a month and put together uh, a website. And there's enough of a demand for the column that I'm going to uh, put it on a subscription basis so that, uh, so that people uh, who care to spend as much as a cup of coffee a month, and that's going to be the price, $3.50 can get my column uh, that I will write every Sunday uh, and go on. I would hope that that would take off. That's going to be, that website is going to be third-degreeus.com. And that's, it's not up yet. It'll be up in about a week or two weeks and there'll be a sign up thing there. And it argues, Kenny, that I have great confidence in your ability to decide what you ought to decide what's 
right for you, what's good for you and your family and, and hopefully the nation. Uh, what I do is reserve the right to ask hard questions on a specific subject uh, every week. Excellent. And, hey. the, and it's, a, it's Socrates saying, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. So, uh, But the actions and the answers are up to you. All I do is try to uh, force a little uh, hard reflection on things uh, that are important, or in some cases, just to write about things of beauty, things of wonder, to write about feelings and sensitivities. Other times you focus in hard on national or local policies and you, you, uh, you got to wrestle with that stuff. So that's, uh, that's the deal. That's understandable. And uh, I know that uh, I really believe that everybody should give something back to this country and 18 to 25 is the perfect time to learn how to give back. Uh, General, if you could just stay on with us for a minute. Um, well, I want to I want to give you that closing thought, though, about, you know, I said from John Gardner. That's why I was uh, going to say I'm going to need that when we come back just for two or three more minutes with you. Uh, okay. We, we have to take this 45-minute break, and we'll be right back All right. after this message. Minutes, huh? 45, right. 45 seconds. seconds. <laughs> 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 Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again. 847-754-4667. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. All I do is a double time. Up the hill. Up the hill. 
And we're here back with Major General John Borling. And before we get to that last point, a couple people in the audience wanted to know if you could spend that, uh, spell the third degree website again, General. No, uh, it's third, T-H-I-R-D, dash, degree, D-E-G-R-E-E, U-S, dot com. And it should be up in about uh, another week, 10 days, and there'll be this subscription model for the people who uh, want to join. There's a sponsorship model, too, on there for some people who've indicated to me they'd like to do that. Uh, and they get a bunch of free subscriptions and things, but they got to spend a lot more than $3.50 a month. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, uh, and, and we are, it is a way to uh, advance uh, ideas that I think are will resonate with with folks but i come back boy it's all our individual responsibility to do that in fact that's uh i think that's the essence of the human human condition here for us who've been lucky enough to be born and continue to advance america that that we have that kind of uh those kinds of alternatives those kinds of opportunities yes anyway and to finish thanks, your Dave, story. Thanks very much. Yeah. Oh, you want to finish the story? Well, as I told you I was down here with Gary Rabine, who's running for governor of Illinois, and uh, and he comes to mind. He doesn't have military service, but he, he started right out of high school, uh, smooth and asphalt, and it's grown it into a national, international business, uh, paving business, highly successful in many companies now, called the Rabine, part of the Rabine Group. And he and I were talking about this as I dropped him off at the airport this morning. And I said, you know, you got to go back and read John Gardner's book on leadership, on leadership. And and he said, I'm going to reread it. You're right. He said, it's uh, so central to what we're about in trying to move the country forward. And in that book, John lays it out. He was my fourth grade mentor. He lays it out in just a couple of sentences what it means for all of us. And here it is. Mm -hmm. Freedom and responsibility, liberty and duty. That's the deal. If you're you're an American, that's the deal. If you're an American and by God, we're Americans and proud of it. And uh, we're going to march on. So that's what I urge you, Kenny. And thank you for doing what you're doing on the veterans uh, broadcasting network you know, uh, to help us all and help the, us all keep marching we will and the veteran broadcast network uh, founder has one question for you uh, sure G- general i want to set the stage for this question uh every once in a while you have a gym and that gym is that sr-71 just to paint that picture the pilots who flew that sr-71 had to get in a space suit to fly yeah. to eighty thousand feet if there was a crack in their canopy or anything there were nitrogen in their blood would boil the surface temperature of that airplane got up to 1100 degrees fahrenheit it was 120 feet long it was a, a amazing aircraft only 120 people in the entire world flew in that airplane 80 pilots and we're talking to one of them you well uh your characterization of flying flying the blackbird is uh is, is close uh in terms of the numbers, I think I was number 463, but of the numbers to fly in the airplane or to pilot the airplane, I was, I was right around 200. Uh, but uh, let's not let's not uh, focus unnecessarily on statistics. Flying that airplane, uh, and I flew it uh, because the Air Force is trying to do away with it. And I was the head of SAC operations at that time. And I said, no, no. I said, we got to fight to keep this uh, airplane. 
And I remember being told that by the chief of staff of the Air Force that anybody else I'd throw out trying to buck <laughs> the institutional decision. He said, you're going to lose. Well, I did lose. I didn't save all the airplanes. I saved three of them to NASA. And they hung around for a whole bunch of years. And I still think the SR, the Blackbird, which I saw as a YF-12A uh, back in 1964, 65 time frame, flying out of Edwards and uh, and illegally saw this airplane in the air. And that's a whole other story. What does 80,000 uh, 80, well, uh, feet look like? Uh, you're in the purple sky. You've got curvature of the earth. Uh, and you can hit, you're in full pressure suit, as you said. You can ha- put your hands up to the windscreen, and and your hands will be burned. As a matter of fact, I was going to try to zoom that guy up over 150,000 feet. Uh, I know it would flame out and everything else, uh, but I was going to try to get up to astronaut country, and uh, it's a crazy <laughs> idea. And, and here I'm, you know, responsible senior officer doing some, you know, shine your ass thing, and. Uh, and but I'm going to do it, and uh, now it's 250,000 feet, by the way, to get that. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just starting to ease back and pull when the light comes on, and this goes to your point. That light that came on was, the, the non-technical term for it was, you're melting light, all right? <laughs> so I had to throttle back, because I was at max speed at that time, and right at, you know, just a tad under 80,000, and... Uh, 80,000 feet and in excess of 3.3 Mach. And, uh, and, uh, and I was the only guy ever to fly it without a simulator or without a ground school, frankly, uh, and just went out to Baylor because of the position. I often said if I could start the darn thing, I can fly it. And, uh, and you I did suspect, both. Yeah, yeah, well, I suspect <laughs> no. If I did it with a Cessna 172, I'd kill the whole family. But that's a... Uh, <laughs> another thought well look i don't want to general john yeah you were great you guys are you guys are great i'm so glad to be with you again happy holidays to everybody but remember that responsibility and freedom liberty and duty that's the deal that's the deal and all right that's the duty we thank you so much for being on roll call with us major general john borling give my love to Myrna. keep flying all righty ciao and we're going to continue on now with uh my friend he's back with us our good buddy, Bill Schustick. I am here. Yeah, and um, we are going to do a, a tune uh, that probably relates to everything John Borling was talking about, especially duty. I believe the name of this tune is Your Mission. Tell Your me about Mission. Yeah. Okie dokie. Uh, this is what I do. I take uh, old songs that a lot of people have forgotten uh, and tie them into our history and who we were trying to understand, where we were, what we were, and where we're going. And how old is this one? Uh, This one was probably, uh, I don't know exactly, but I would say 1865, early. Oh, probably by Philip Phillips, right? Yes, you were. uh, Yeah, the first Philip is one L, the second is two Ls. And, you know, I I find these songs, and this is what's been exciting for me here with, with you, is you keep asking me about these songs that I've learned over the years and never had... Your, uh, ability, uh, your reason to do them. Oh, you're kidding. And I just and, and I love them. Uh, they they say so much about us. I'm the lucky uh, guy. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see about And the that. audience is a lucky audience. <laughs> but yes, this is uh, Philip Phillips was called the Singing Pilgrim because during the war he would go to the hospitals and the uh, uh, prisoner camps. Everything he would sing to the northern and southern soldiers alike. 
together, you know, in, in the hospitals and things, a singing pilgrim. And back then, uh, the, the Army of the Potomac, I mean, the, the, it was huge. The, it, people had never seen anything quite like this uh, before, but we, it wasn't in our minds to take care of the soldiers after they're done fighting and hurt. It, 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 and so that was, it, it became a, uh, a volunteer situation. The, 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 the civilians, the people of our country, got together to, to get this stuff organized. In fact, women, you know, people don't know, the Civil War put women into leadership. And they were the ones that made these things, uh, Mother Bickerdike, oh, what a character. You know, generals were afraid of her because she got stuff moving and got wounded soldiers taken care of. And so they had two major groups. One was the Christian Commission, and the other was the Charity uh, Commission. And they would have big fundraising things. And this one was the, uh, uh, the charity one. And... Uh, they all gathered. It was in the uh, lower house, uh, and hundreds and hundreds of people came, including the president and all the government. And uh, they had wonderful things. And twice, Lincoln was seen sobbing at this uh, event. And he wasn't even going to go at first. And the first one was uh, uh, the singing chaplain. I think his name was McCabe, uh, Chaplain McCabe telling his story about when he was in prison for a few years in Libby, a prisoner of the Confederates, a Union uh, man, who set up singing organizations within the prison, and the people of Richmond would come to be entertained by the American prisoners, singing, rally around the flag, the, the battle hymn of the Republic. And, well, the first one was McCabe talking about how they turned the place upside down, singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. They sang it, everybody, thousands of people. They were so excited with the orchestra and everything. They did it again, the whole thing. You know, this has got bigger and bigger. And then, after all of this, one man comes out on the stage with his guitar. And he sings the song that he had written called Your Mission. This is Philip Phillips, the singing pilgrim. When he was done, Lincoln wrote on the back of his program, please have him sing it one more time before the end of the evening, but don't tell anybody who's asking for it. And truthfully, they were going to be doing it. They'd expanded it. They were going to do a wonderful, wonderful expanded version of it, but it never happened. Next time Lincoln was in the presence of that song, he was in his funeral train in Illinois. I had a, a friend who was 96 years old in Wisconsin, Nantucket. Kept asking me about this song, did I know it? And I didn't, and I didn't. And he could only sing me a couple words that his mother always sang to him. She was there during the war. Well, Professor, I found the song. This is it, your mission. If you cannot on the ocean Sail among the swiftest fleet 
rocking on the highest bellows, laughing at the storms you meet. You can stand among the sailors anchored yet within the bay. You can lend a hand to help them as they launch their boats away. As they launch their boats away. If you are too weak to journey up the mountain steep and high, you can stand within the valley while the multitudes go by. You can chant in happy measure as they slowly pass along. Though they may forget the singer, they will not forget the song. They will not forget the song. It was Lincoln's favorite, where he was just sobbing during this one. If you cannot in the conflict prove yourself a soldier true, if worse fire and smoke are thickest, there's no work for you to do. When the battlefield is silent, you can go with careful tread. You can bear away the wounded. You can cover up the dead. You can cover up the dead. Do not then stand idly waiting for some greater work to do. Fortune is a lazy goddess, she will never come to you. Go and toil in any vineyard, do not fear to do or dare. If you want a field of labor, you can find it anywhere you can find it anywhere these are the old songs in the old language and they're talking to us wow powerful powerful thank you we ran over a little bit of time but we're happy that everybody was here want to thank bill a lot and lisa linda sandra especially mark for coming into town and helping me out on all this Major John, man, thank you very much. And Jim and Alice, you are the best. Uh, happy holidays, everybody, and a great new year to you. Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. On the Veterans Broadcast Network, this is Roll Call. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you're going to drive, why not drive for the best? 
Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. 